First John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made perfect in us. This is God's word. I invite you to keep your Bibles open and let's pray as we look together um, at this passage of Scripture. Gracious Father, thank you for the chance to celebrate your love, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to sing about it, to praise you for it. And now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that we would see it unfold before us, that we would see you. So, Lord, we need your spirit to be with us. We need your spirit to open our hearts, to give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you. And we thank you that, you're, that you love to answer that prayer and make yourself known. So may we see you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we were to ask around, whether at work or at school, on the street maybe, among family and friends, I don't think any of us would be surprised to discover that Christmas means some very different things to different people. Uh, for some of us, it's a, it's a very religious experience, you know, going to church, right? Or rehearsing the nativity story or celebrating the birth of Jesus. For, for some, it's a family holiday. It's a chance to gather with friends and family, with loved ones, to uh, catch up, spend time together. Perhaps it's a, simply a break from school or a commercial opportunity. A lot of retail businesses finally begin to make a profit during the Christmas season. And of course, for many of us, it's some sort of combination of those things. But one theme you're bound to hear in anyone's answer, whether they are religious or secular, whether they are sentimental or cynical, is that Christmas, at its best, is about love. At its best, it's about love. Love. I mean, we, we sign our greeting cards with love from the Leverings. We, our, our holiday soundtrack is dominated by songs that talk about love. You know, Christmas is the time to say I love you, or all I want for Christmas is you. Please, nobody hum that right now. Every, every Hallmark Christmas movie revolves around some love story, right? I mean, love is, Christmas is all about 
love, and, and not just romantic love, but friendship and family love as well. Some of our songs uh, reflect that, I'll be home for Christmas. It's that nostalgia of gathering with family and friends, that iconic, albeit elusive picture of, of family and friends gathered around the tree in a home filled with light and laughter. That's a picture of love. In fact, it's that emphasis on love that can often make Christmas a difficult holiday for some of us, uh, whether, you know, those who find themselves spending the holidays alone or those who are spending their first holiday after they've lost a loved one. That can make Christmas a hard season for some of us. But if there's anything that people should be able to agree on, especially in our polarized world today, it's that Christmas at its best is about love. But what if we were to stop and ask, why? Why is Christmas about love? And what does that mean? What do we mean by love? Well, if you've been part of Westgate the last several months, you'll know that we have spent the entire fall talking about love, uh, specifically the love that Jesus has for us and how we see that love displayed in the way that he interacted with others during his earthly ministry, the way he treated others around him. We have been spending our time in the Gospels in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking at Jesus' love on display, meditating on his heart and his love for us. And in, in light of that, it shouldn't be hard for us to answer the question this morning, why is Christmas about love? Christmas is about love because love came down at Christmas. That's why we have Christmas in the first place. Jesus is the divine embodiment of love. He is love incarnate, love in the flesh. Christina Rossetti captured this in her famous poem, Love Came Down at Christmas. Love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign? Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. Christmas is all about love because love came down at Christmas. Jesus, the personification, the embodiment of of love, of, of God's love, of divine love. And the sign that we recognize him as love and worship him is when we reflect that love to others, to God and to all men. Rossetti says it beautifully, but the Apostle John said it first in the passage that we read a few minutes ago. And so what I, what I want to do this morning is, is to Look at 1 John 4, 7 through 12, what we just read, and consider what it means that Jesus is the divine embodiment of love, that he is love in the flesh. How he 
expresses or reveals to us the love of God through his incarnation, through coming to earth, becoming human, being born into creation, everything that we celebrate at Christmas, how Jesus reveals the love of God through that, and then what difference that makes. Because the reality is, if Jesus is love incarnate, if he is the embodiment of love, then as much as we talk about love at Christmas time, we don't really know love unless we know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we can't help but love. And so let's look at this text together. If you're not still there, it's on page 1023 of the Bible in front of you. The, the letters of John, of which 1 John is, is the first of three, uh, are almost certainly written by the same John who gave us the gospel at the beginning of the New Testament and then Revelation at the end. And here in his letters, John is bringing the message of the gospel to bear on the everyday life of the churches that were seeking to follow Christ. And one of the challenges that those churches faced was how hard it was to actually love each other. It's a newsflash, right? People can be hard to love. And so John is helping them see that. And we're obviously jumping into the middle of the letter, but that's a theme that he has been touching on throughout this entire letter, the call to love one another and the fact that our love for each other is inextricably bound up in our relationship with Jesus and God's love for us. You might have noticed uh, in the reading that our passage begins and ends with a call to love one another. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. And verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God wants us to love each other. Right? That's, that's a message anybody can get behind. But what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean? What does love look like? And, and when you ask that kind of question, that's where, depending on each of our stories, depending on our experience, our background, our views on life, we, we often find ourselves coming up with some pretty different definitions and expectations of what love actually is means. You know, what feels like love for me may not look or feel like love for somebody else. For instance, if you grew up or if you operate in a relatively conservative environment, uh, then love is what protects and promotes a good life. Love encourages others to be their best. Love is the fences that we build around our children to keep them safe. Love is the rules that we enforce to form a moral society, and and sanctioning or censuring those who color outside those lines is what we call tough love. So tough that sometimes it crushes people. If your experience or story is more progressive or liberal, then, then love is whatever will make someone happy and feel good about themselves. Love removes judgment. It accepts and celebrates everything about the other. It promotes safety, and it gets rid of sin. The only sin is resisting that vision of love. 
If you resist that, then there's no safe place to hide. But is love really whatever we grew up with or whatever we want it to be? Do, is it ours to define for ourselves? More specifically, does God's love mean whatever we make it to mean? Sometimes we see the phrase, God is love. We, we read that earlier in verse 8, right? God is love. Sometimes we see that phrase, and what we do in our brains is we turn it around. We reverse the order and we say, love is God, as if to uh, say that the greatest virtue in life, the, the uh, highest value that trumps any other value or any other belief is love. But that phrase isn't reversible. It, it doesn't mean the same thing in either direction. To say that love is God is to remove God from his throne and replace him with some squishy idea of our own invention. To say that God is love, that puts the world back in orbit. That puts everything into its proper perspective. That reminds us that, that the very existence of love the, any talk of love, any real practice of love begins with God, comes from God, and points back to God. He's the center of gravity. He's, he's the source. He's the standard. He's the strength. A love that is far more conservative than progressives want to believe. It is inextricably bound up in holiness and moral purity, and yet far more liberal than conservatives or traditionalists often want to believe. It is more accepting and self-giving than we can imagine. And the way that we know this love is because God has revealed it by sending His Son. Love came down at Christmas. Jesus is the divine embodiment of love. And that's what John emphasizes at the heart of our passage. He tells us what to do at the beginning and the end, but he tells us how it's all possible, how it all works, right in the middle, verses 9 and 10. In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was revealed, it was shown to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Do you want to know what love is, how we ought to love one another, and what God's love for us looks like? John's answer is to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. God shows us what love is by sending his son into the world as the incarnation of that love. So, so what did the father send the son to do? What did he actually do? Uh, we see two things in these verses. First, he sent him so that we might live through him. Love, real love, gives life. It doesn't steal or kill or destroy. It gives life. And when John uses the word life in his letters, uh, he's not just talking about living and breathing and existing. 
Uh, He's not even just talking about flourishing at a human level. He's talking about eternal life. That's how he uses this word in his letters, an everlasting relationship with God. God, in his love for us, wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to know him intimately the way that a child knows and loves a parent. God wants that kind of love, wants that kind of relationship with us, and he wants that kind of relationship to last forever. It's an eternal life. That's the goal of love, to know and enjoy God forever. But if you think about what that means, if God sent his son Jesus to come down in order to bring eternal life, that means that apart from Jesus, we're facing eternal death. If it takes Jesus coming down from heaven to bring that life, what does that mean for us without him? It means that we're facing eternal death. It means that that what the Bible says about sin is true, that it separates us from God. It breaks that relationship he desires, that relationship we were made for. Our disobedience, our rebellion, it condemns us to an eternal punishment, which doesn't make God unloving. It sounds like, well, that's a really cranky way for God to operate. It doesn't make God unloving any more than it makes a parent unloving who actually has consequences when their child misbehaves. What it does is it helps us understand how holy God is and how incredibly loving He is that He would be willing to send His Son to rescue us from the punishment we actually deserve. But how does He do that? How does His love for us bring life when what we actually deserve is death? Well, that We see that in the second reason that God sent his son in verse 10, to be the propitiation for our sins. Real love gives life at great cost to self. Now, propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. That's a big word. That's not the kind of word you're going to drop casually at your office Christmas party this year. I was thinking about the power of the propitiation this week. That's not... That conversation won't happen, but it's a beautiful word because it refers to the kind of offering given to God that bears his holy anger against our sin. It's the picture of a substitute paying for us a penalty that we actually owe. Uh, If you're familiar with the story of Exodus, think of the Passover lamb for ancient Israel that, was, that died in place of the firstborn of Israel in order that they might be rescued. In the same way, Jesus dies for us in our place on the cross. The death that we deserved, he took on our behalf so that God could deal justly with sin and mercifully with sinners at the same time. One of the viral stories going around the interwebs right now is about a stranger who has gone around paying off the layaway balances for people he doesn't know. So there's this thing called layaway. Um, Most of us probably haven't experienced that in the day of credit cards, but what you can do is you can pick out your gifts and then the store will hold them and you make payments on them until they're paid off and then you get to 
uh, take them and give them. And so this stranger's gone around paying off the balances for all sorts of people he doesn't even know. Not because they did something special, just out of the kindness of his own heart. It's a really moving picture of love. But that display of love is but an echo and a shadow of the love of Jesus in giving his life. Like the mystery man, he does it not because we deserve it, not because we did something and now he's obligated to help us. No, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He does it by his grace. But unlike the mystery man, Jesus knows exactly whose debt he's paying and why. He knows every rotten thing we've ever said, thought, or done, all of which is ultimately an offense against him and his throne, and he still pays it anyway. And unlike the mystery man, it's not just a few hundred dollars. He pays it with his very own life. He gives his life in our place. Real love gives life at great cost to self. God makes that life available to us by sending his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how God defines love. That's how God defines love. God's love is both moral and merciful. It's both holy and gracious. It shows us that sin really is sinful, but grace really is sufficient to deal with that sin. It exalts both truth and compassion. It gives life at great cost to self. And God revealed that to us by sending Jesus, the embodiment of love. And if that's true, if Jesus is love incarnate, love in the flesh, then we don't really know love unless we know Jesus and experience his love. And if we know Jesus, we can't help but love. Our ability to love is inextricably linked to our relationship with God, with the God of love. And we see that when we look again at the, at the beginning and the end of our passage, this call to love that he starts and, and ends with. You can't claim to know God if your life is not marked by love. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And if you've experienced the love of God in Jesus, you can't help but love others. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God's love for us is what makes our love for each other possible. Now, of course, anybody can love someone who loves them back. Anybody who can love someone in order to 
to get something from them. That doesn't take a Christmas miracle. But what about loving someone when we don't feel like it? What about loving someone who despises us? Loving someone who has hurt us or who might take advantage of us? Someone who doesn't really deserve it. Someone, what about loving someone when there's no guaranteed reward? When we realize how God has loved us, not because we loved him, not because we deserved it, not because it was easy or cheap, barely an inconvenience, but solely by his grace and mercy. When we realize that, when we experience that, we can't help but love others. We, we begin to run out of excuses for our sloppy or slow or stinginess in loving others. Because God has dealt graciously with me. When I see his grace, his generosity, I can deal graciously or generously with others. Because God has shown kindness to me. I, I'm free to show kindness to others, even if they don't give it back. Because God loved me in my betrayal of him, I can love a brother or sister who's betrayed me. Because God loved me in my indifference to him, I wasn't even looking for him. He came looking for me. I can love those who are indifferent to me. Because God loved me in my selfishness, I can love someone who's selfish. Because God loved me at great cost to himself, I can love others at great cost to myself. Not only do I have the model of Jesus, I have the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit who's with me. To love even when it's costly. It might cost me my pride. It might cost me my reputation. It might cost me money or time or emotional ener energy. It will cost me any claim I have to retribution, getting even with those who offend me. But all of this, I can freely let go of. Because in this way, Jesus has loved me. Because in Jesus, I already have everything I need. There's nothing that can be taken from me that isn't rewarded a hundredfold in eternal life. And because Jesus himself has already borne whatever offense was aimed at me and whatever retribution they deserve because he bore whatever retribution I deserve when he gave his life willingly as an atoning sacrifice for sin. Now, it doesn't mean that love is easy. Some of us are really looking forward to our Christmas dinners. Some of us are not. Because sometimes it's hard. It doesn't mean love is easy or that it's going to look like a Hallmark Christmas. It doesn't make the sin that people have committed against us any less sinful. Love is not pretending that things aren't as bad as they are and we just got to put a good face on it and move on. The love of God does not make sin less sinful. It shows us that grace is greater than sin. It's the only thing that allows us to be honest about offenses and still hopeful 
in our relationships. It's the only thing that enables us to love one another, even when we don't feel like it, even when the other person doesn't deserve it. If you really want to know why Christmas is about love, look at Jesus, the incarnation of love. If you really want to know what love is, look at Jesus, who loved us at great cost to self. And if you really want to know how to love others well at Christmas, look at Jesus. But don't just imitate his love. First, understand and receive his love for you. Trust his love for you. Rest in his love for you. And then you're able to follow his pattern of love. Not just when it's easy, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's rewarding, but to love as you have been loved. That's the kind of love that turns the world upside down, or rather sets it right side up and puts everything back into orbit. That's the love we dream of at Christmas. That's the love that will make all things new when our Lord returns. That's the love that only comes from knowing Christ and His love for you.